0: Please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 37. This morning we are looking at Psalm 37. We'll be looking at the first 11 verses. Psalm 37, verses 1 through 11. Please give your full attention to the word of God. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Over 4,000 years ago, God called a pagan man by the name of Abram. To leave his town and his country behind and go to a promised land, the land of Canaan. Where he and his family would grow to become the nation that was God's people. When they got to that land, Abram and his family looked at it and realized, Abram realized that he could not have his whole extended family together in one place. There was conflict between his herds and his nephew Lot's herds. Conflict between the herdsmen. And so he said to his nephew Lot, offered to him a very generous offer. He said to him, you look at the land and pick the part of the land that you want to live in. And I'll take the other part. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. You get first choice. Well, the text then says, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord. He looked at that part of the promised land and he said, it looks like the garden of Eden. I want to live there. Don't be too hard on Lot. I know when I am offered four or five pieces of apple pie. I always pick the biggest one. We have that tendency. But it does make you wonder how could Abram make that offer? What motivated him to say, Lot, you get the first choice? Well, I think the text very intentionally answers that question because the very next section, starting in verse 14 of Genesis 13, says this. You see, the reason that Abram could offer first choice to Lot is he knew that God had given him all the land. That all the land was his inheritance. And he trusted God. He knew God to be a faithful God who keeps his promises. Psalm 37, written by David, begins with a very blunt command. It says, fret not. Literally, In the Hebrew language, it says, don't get heated up. Don't get all worked up is maybe how we would say it. Fret not. It goes on to say fret not. Just in the first 11 verses that we read, it goes on to say that two more times, three times altogether. Fret not. Jesus said, do not worry about your life. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. Believers are not to be characterized by fretting, getting worked up about this world's affairs. Worrying, fretting, anxiety should not characterize our lives. And why? Why does David say we're not to worry? Because he says in verse 9, Those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Or in verse 11, The meek will inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace matter of fact if you if we had read all of psalm 37 you would find that it makes that same promise that the meek will inherit the land it makes that same promise six times in psalm 37 now of course that promise should sound familiar to you if you know the new testament In the Beatitudes, during Jesus, our Lord Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So the promise is still out there. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You know, it's interesting. Usually we go to the New Testament. We're studying a passage like this in the Old Testament. We'll go to the New Testament for more light and more elaboration on what the old testament passage means because of the way that revelation was given over time but this is one of those rare cases where you look at a very short and simple statement that jesus makes blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth and you go back to psalm 37 to find out what he means by it that's really what psalm 37 is it's an exposition of jesus statement that blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth What is meekness? We don't use that adjective very often, do we, in everyday language. Matter of fact, probably the only time you've ever heard that in a common way is when they'll talk about somebody being as meek as a mouse. We tend to equate meekness with weakness, don't we? Mousiness. Being afraid. Being nerdy, cowardly. Weak. That's so ironic because biblically speaking, when you really study the word meekness, which is an important adjective for the people of God in Scripture, when you really study in Scripture, what you find out is it actually means the opposite of weakness. It means strength, but not the kind of strength that the world talks about. Not the kind of strength that the world strives for. It's the kind of strength that God's people have. That's what meekness is. Meekness in scripture, what it means is a strength that comes from submission to God's will and trust in his promises. Meekness in scripture is a strength that comes from submitting to God's will and trusting in his promises. It's a strength that comes from being teachable. Humble. It's a strength that shows itself in a quiet confidence in the face of all suffering and trials. I've never actually watched a horse being broken. I've seen video of it. I've seen it on television. But I've always thought it's such a great analogy for discipleship. Because that's really what discipleship is. For, for a, when you break a horse, you take a horse that is wild, that does whatever it wants to do. And through patient, gentle training, you train that horse to submit to the will of the rider. And that's really the problem with human nature is we are born into this world of wild horses, so to speak with a wild, rebellious nature that only wants to go where we want to go, do what we want to do, take pleasure in what we want to take pleasure in. And when Christ saves us by his shed blood on the cross, he begins the process of breaking us. Breaking us in a gentle, loving way. Teaching us patiently to submit to his will and to trust in his direction to submit to his will and to trust in his provision and direction in life. This past week we had a chance to go to a county fair that when my children were young we would go there many summers because my father-in-law after he retired from being a principal in a high school he bought a little farm and went back to a love of his childhood which was raising draft horses and he had He had several draft horses on his property, and he would show them at the county fair every year. Well, my kids have wonderful memories of helping with both caring for the horses, but also uh, showing them at the fair. And so we were there, and, and I was remembering one of the most terrifying experiences I had was when I first met my first draft horse. I mean, I thought of like riding horses, you know, that was the only horses, I had, I, don't ha- I never had hardly any experience with horses, but only with the small horses. When I walked up to my first draft horse, if you've never done that, you have no idea the difference, uh, the, the size and the power of a Belgian draft horse. And I walked up to him and I was literally terrified. I mean, I'm not exaggerating, I do tend to exaggerate sometimes when I tell stories. But this time, his shoulder was up here. You know, I looked up at the top of his shoulder. And his shoulders were massive, and his legs were massive, his head was massive, and I was scared. And I remember standing there just watching my father-in-law take care of him. Well, after a little while, he said, oh, I forgot something up at the barn. I got to run up and get it here. He handed me the reins of two draft horses hitched together. He handed me these two little pieces of leather, and he says, here, hold them. I need to run up to the barn for a minute. And I'll never forget how terrified I was. I'm I'm fully aware of the fact that those horses can do anything they want to do. And I could not even begin to stop them. But they stood there obediently and didn't move a muscle and waited for their master to come back because they were broke. That's that's how you say it. My wife told me that you say it's broke. They weren't broken. they, They were broke. They submitted to their master's will. They were obedient, and therefore, they were powerful under his direction. That's a good picture of discipleship. That's meekness. So when you hear the word meekness, think of those draft horses. Under the yoke, with the harness, powerfully doing their master's will. That's what discipleship is. That's one of the things I want you to walk out of here with today. I bet that meekness was not one of the things that you strive for. How, about, how many of you prayed for meekness in the last year, five years, ten years? But scripturally speaking, it's meant to be a core part of our personality. We are to be meek people. Jesus, as Owen pointed out, Jesus was meek. He called himself meek. Paul called himself meek. You want to know what meekness really looks like? Don't think about horses. You know what it really looks like? Jesus Christ hanging on the cross. Jesus Christ allowed himself to be arrested, beaten within an inch of his life, humiliated before the masses, nailed to the cross, knowing that at any given moment he could call upon legions of angels to come down and to deliver him and to incinerate his enemies. But he trusted in the Father's promises and he submitted himself to the Father's will and that was the epitome of meekness. That's what we are called to. Not to die for anyone's sins, but to submit To our Lord's will so let's talk about meekness according to Psalm 37 how does David describe this quality of meekness which is so important to this? this this psalm is an exposition of Jesus statement blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth David shows us that meekness is a byproduct of the gift of faith that we've been given if your faith is real meekness is to be a byproduct of that faith you see that first of all in the fact that he says that the meek are those who see the big picture those who are meek have an eternal perspective it's clear that David is warning us in this psalm not to base our hope on what we can see with our physical eyes he says in verse 1 fret not yourselves because of evildoers be not envious of wrongdoers in verse 7, he says, fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, who carries out evil devices. Yeah, you know, It's one of the first signs that your perspective has lost that eternity, eternity as a framework, that you've lost the vertical perspective and your, your perspectives become way too horizontal is that you start envying what unbelievers have accomplished in this life and in this world. You start wishing you had the job that that guy has or the house that that family has or the car that that person drives or the status and the popularity that that group over there has. Verse 2 says of the unbelievers, they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. How many times have we seen that in the Psalms? It's so important that we understand that those who live only for this life are going to be gone in a flash and all that they hope for is going to be gone in a flash look at verse 9 for the evildoers shall be cut off verse 10 in just a little while the wicked will be no more though you look carefully at his place he will not be there I mentioned a couple weeks ago that my wife has been as a hobby been really digging into some of our genealogical information for, for both families on both sides. And it's been fascinating what she's been learning. There's so many more resources out there online now than there used to be. And she's been able to go way back. And as a result of that, we've picked up a really strange hobby, which is now we go and visit some graveyards, which I know sounds really pathetic. But once you're really into this, it really it's something you really need to do. And so, a couple weeks ago, we went and found an old graveyard that uh, was about uh, about an hour south of where I grew up, where a lot of my extended family that I didn't know anything about had been buried. And a couple of things really struck me. First thing that really struck me is walking, I've noticed this as we've been looking at several different graveyards. You look at gravestones, it's really a, a sobering thing. All you have is the person's name, their birth date, and their date of death. There's no resume there's no list of accomplishments, there's a date of birth and a date of death and that will drive that biblical message home in a hurry we're like grass of the field here today and gone tomorrow. The other thing that really struck me was that in this one particular graveyard we visited a couple weeks ago is next to a beautiful old church and I got to thinking about that graveyards used to always be next to churches And what a great preparation for worship that would be if you had to walk by a graveyard to come and worship on Sunday morning and you had to walk by a graveyard to leave and go serve the Lord. What a great preparation for both worship and service it would be to be reminded of the brevity of this life. That we are not to live for what we can see with our physical eyes. That we have so many wonderful things that are physical, but God has only promised things that are eternal to us. And that is where our hope lies. Meekness comes from having an eternal perspective. We've seen this over and over in the Psalms and elsewhere in Scripture. Meekness comes from having an eternal perspective. As we saw in Psalm 90, verse 4, Lord, a thousand years in your sight are, are but as yesterday when it has passed, or as a watch in the night. A couple weeks ago, they were having in Pittsburgh at the stadium, they were having a celebration of the 1979 World Series victory of the Pittsburgh Pirates. And I was, fat, I was very into that. I didn't go. I would have loved to have been there. But, but I was reading about it, watching the video online, uh, that was my team. When I was a teenager growing up, that was the team I lived for. I knew every player, I knew every stat. I met a couple of them. I went to games. I, that, that, was, that was my team. Those were my heroes. Those guys were the picture of virility. Those guys were the picture of grace and athleticism and power. And then I saw the videos from a couple weeks ago. These guys were all really old. A number of them are dead. And it's sobering. But it's a good, sobering in a good way. To realize that what the world values so highly is gone so quickly. 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. The meek shall inherit the earth. Of course, Psalm 73 is all about this eternal perspective. If you really want to do some some in-depth work this afternoon on developing and strengthening your eternal perspective, go to Psalm 73. I'll read you just the first three verses to begin with. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And I only have time to then jump to the to the resolution of his story he's envious of the prosperity of the unbelieving world how did he get out of that depression how did he get out of that pit verses 16 and 17 but when I thought how to understand this it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went to the sanctuary of God there I discerned their end that's why we come to worship that's why it's important for you to be in worship every week That's why it's important for you to be in the word of God every day. It's why it's important for you to be in prayer every day. To keep that eternal perspective strong. Because the world is trying to suck it out of you every moment. You need to have an eternal perspective. In order to be meek. Second thing that David teaches us. Is that the meek know their purpose. And their place on earth. Look at verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Stop looking at the prosperity of the wicked. Focus on what the Lord has called you to do today. That's the attitude and the perspective of a meek person. Meekness comes from understanding that we invest and work for things that are eternal. And that looks very mundane in the eyes of this world. Thought about the hope of an eternal perspective, what it does for daily life. When I, when I was thinking about that this week, I thought about the movie Sleepless in Seattle. Early on in that movie, you find out that the main character played by Tom Hanks, named, the character's name is Sam. Sam has lost his wife and he's in deep depression. Hard, finding it hard to go on with life and his son, precocious son, calls up a radio psychologist on the air and tricks his father into talking to this radio psychologist. And the interaction's short, but it's interesting. What it, the, the Dr. Marsha Fieldstone, what she says to Sam is, what are you going to do, Sam? Asking him to look forward. You know, OK, you're, you're, you're in this pit of depression. What are you going to do? This is what Sam says. Well, I'm gonna get out of bed every morning, breathe in and out all day long. Then after a while, I won't have to remind myself to get out of bed every morning and breathe in and out. And then after a while, I won't have to think about how I had it great and perfect for a while. And I thought, that is reality for the world. When you don't have an eternal perspective, that is reality. You say, you know, I'm just going to suck it up and I'm going to survive. And I'm going to pine away the hours looking back at what I've lost in the past. But you know what? You know, for a believer, there are those days for believers. There are those days where you've got to suck it up and survive. Where you've got to get up, brush your teeth, brush your hair, put on your shirt, go to work. Mow the lawn, change the diapers, and just be faithful. But there's a huge perspective. There's a huge difference between you and Sam if you're a believer. Because you say, I'm going to get out of bed every morning, I'm going to breathe in and out, and then I'm going to remember that I'll inherit the earth. I'm going to inherit the earth. And this life is just a flash and that's where I'll be for eternity back in 2012 a young pastors wife started writing an online blog thinking that maybe her family and maybe a few friends would read it she called it mundane faithfulness her name was uh, Kara Tippetts and that's about all it was for a while until she came down with cancer and started a couple year long battle against cancer which she eventually lost you know by the time she passed away her blog was being read by tens of thousands of people and that's the beauty of that story is that that wasn't what she was looking for and that wasn't what she was living for all she did was she's writing a journal about her days of mundane faithfulness of just doing the will of God as it's revealed in his word Day in and day out. But all that got challenged by the reality of death invading into her life. And so she had to write, how does this mundane faithfulness make any sense in the light of the fact that she was likely to pass away in several months? And that's what made her blog powerful. That's what makes the gospel powerful. It's because Jesus died for our sins. Because he's given us the gift of eternal life. To those who have faith in him, we have eternity to inherit and dwell in the land. i was really struck by that. The, the phrase, it throws the phrase in there, dwell in the land. That's part of faithfulness. That's part of the mundane, ordinary faithfulness of living your life day in and day out. Dwell in the land. It made me think of the exiles in Babylon. Remember when God's people, and they suffered greatly. They were taken away as captives. They had to live in this foreign, pagan land of Babylon. Remember what the prophet Jeremiah said to them? This is what he said. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. In other words, just be faithful. Just do what the word of God reveals that you are to do day in and day out with your eternal perspective giving you hope. I mean, they weren't gonna be delivered from captivity for 70 years. That means that almost all those people would have died. But they were to be faithful day in and day out because they had an eternal perspective. One day at a time. There's a reason why that's a cliche. But it's not one day at a time like Sam just surviving. It's one day at a time because we're all taking small steps towards our eternal inheritance that Jesus has promised to us. Meekness, therefore, means being content with your lot in life, no matter how mundane. Being content with where you are for today. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. Leave that in the Lord's hands. That's why you don't have to worry about tomorrow. It's because that's in the Lord's hands. He's got that under control. Be faithful today. Which brings to the third characteristic of the meek, according to David, which is that the meek know what's truly valuable and worthwhile. Look at verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, that phrase is sometimes taken out of context, and it's a powerful phrase. The Lord will give you the desires of your heart but it's contingent upon the beginning of the verse. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. If your delight in this life is in having the prettiest face, or the biggest back account, or the nicest home, or the most impressive career, or the most longest list of degrees after your name, if that's what your delight is in, you will have no security in this life. Absolutely none. As a matter of fact, if you're a believer and you're under this discipleship training that we compared to being a horse being broken, if you're into that kind of discipleship training, God is likely to take away some of those things that you value so highly so that you will learn to value him and his kingdom more. And that is a grace. It is a grace when he takes those things away. So that you'll learn to trust in him. It's part of you learning to no longer be that bucking horse. And to submit to and to trust your master. In verse 16 it says, better is the lily. I'm skipping ahead from what we read. But look at verse 16. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. Just think about that. That is so anti-American. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. While we were on vacation up visiting my mother-in-law, she pulled out, she's kind of cleaning out her house, and she pulled out all these old, old pictures from Suzanne's side of the family, and a lot of them were our family our kids when we were raising them. I forgot what we used to, do, used to look like that. I forgot that the, my kids used to look like these amazing things. I learned looking back at these old pictures. But it reminded me, looking at kind of the way we were dressed and looking at the cars we were driving, it reminded me that we really struggled financially early in our life as we were trying to get through school, trying to get through seminary, trying to raise kids, working low-income jobs, working as pastor of small churches. We really struggled financially. But I look back on that very fondly now, and I've heard a lot of you say the same thing. I'm, I'm just so thankful that, the God, that God took us through those lean years especially early in life. And I sometimes feel for young adults who have a lot of money handed to them from old money or that are immediately given these high-paying jobs because there's so many valuable lessons of discipleship, so many important aspects of being broken by the Holy Spirit so that you learn to trust in the Lord and submit to his will that come from not having a lot. That Verses like that, meant a lot to me. Better is the little that the righteous has and the abundance of many wicked. You see, you're not to fear. Because what, you, what is really valuable you already have. What is really valuable has been given to you in abundance. You have the Lord. And if you delight yourself in the Lord, he is guaranteed he will give you the desires of your heart. Meekness Therefore, according to David, is seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, trusting in him to add all the other things to you as well. The meek shall inherit the earth. Finally, and I think this is an important one, David says that those who are meek know what it is to wait upon the Lord. Those who are meek know what it is to wait upon the Lord. Look at verses 5 and 7. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. If you're waiting, it means you're waiting in expectation. You're waiting because God has said he will act. He will fulfill his promises. I challenge any of you to come to me today and tell me one promise that God has made to you that he has broken. One promise that God has made to you that he has not fulfilled or that he will not fulfill when he says he will fulfill it. He is faithful. He will act. And so we wait in faith. Now we've seen many places in these Psalms. Where it makes it clear that it's okay to say God what's taking you so long. It's okay to go to the Lord and to take your fears and your doubts and your weakening, weakened faith and take it to him. Don't run to somebody else, but take it to him and say to him, like the psalmist say, How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? Why do you stand so far off? Have you forsaken me? The psalms teach us it's okay to ask, Lord, what's taking so long? That's the Lord understanding that our time frame is so screwed up because of where we are in in the light of eternity. Verse 8, David shows us what the opposite of waiting on the Lord is. He says in verse 8, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. It's interesting. That's the opposite. We've already said this. The opposite of trusting in the Lord the opposite of faith the opposite of weakness is to be fearful and angry to be fearful and angry anger and fear are our sinful responses to being out of the control of our lives and whether we will admit it or not and we're all somewhere on the spectrum we're all control freaks we all want to be in control of our lives and you can't be broken in your discipleship if you're still striving for control of your life. Fear comes from that feeling of being out of control. Fear comes from the feeling of being out of control and it's a desperate cry to be back in control. Anger is a powerful drive. What anger is, it's an aggressive attempt to take back control in your life, to seek immediate justice. You see, that's part of being a disciple. It's part of being broken. It's part of being meek, is that you have learned to live for delayed gratification. You don't need immediate justice because justice is mine, says the Lord. He will deal justly. We can wait upon the Lord for justice. We don't need to be angry. James chapter 1 verses 19 and 20 says, Everyone should be slow to become angry, for a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Man's anger does not produce meekness. Waiting on the Lord is the characteristic of meekness. Fear and anxiety and anger, these are a red flag in our lives that we are not trusting in the Lord. It's contrary to faith. We're basically saying, instead of saying, Father, how long until you will show up? It's basically saying, God, are you going to show up? I'm not sure that God is going to show up. What what if God doesn't show up? How am I going to deal with this? We need to resist the urge to control our lives through fear and anger. I'll give you one rhyming phrase. I'm not great with giving you rhyming phrases, but this will help you remember this this week. You cannot be both meek and a control freak. You can't. You cannot be both meek and a control freak. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord doesn't mean doing nothing. We've already seen that. To be meek means to be faithful, diligent, hard at work, doing the will of God for today, one day at a time, trusting in the Lord, submitting to his will as it's revealed in his word, being faithful while you wait on the Lord because God is faithful to his promises. He's never broken one of them and he will act. He will do what he said he would do. That's meekness. So let me just close by asking one final question, taking us back to the beginning. How are you approaching your life? Are you approaching your life more like Lot, who looked at the best part of the land of Canaan and said, basically, from his heart, this is what he said, what I see with my eyes is all that's real. What I see with my eyes is all that I value. That's what I live for. That's what I treasure, and I want it now. Or is your approach to life more like meek Abraham who said, God has promised me all the land. God has promised that I will inherit the earth. God is faithful. I trust him. So I'm going to be faithful to my calling, faithful to his word, and wait upon him to fulfill his promises. That's the lifestyle of a broken discipleship. Disciple who's ready to serve the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray that after having looked at Psalm 37, we will all be more diligent in our prayers for meekness, that we'll be more diligent in our efforts to seek after meekness, that we will be faithful in making use of the means of grace that Christ has given, the word of God, the sacraments, the worship and fellowship of God's people, that we will make use of these provisions of your grace so that we will grow in our eternal perspective, in our faithfulness, in our patience as we wait upon you to fulfill all of your promises. Our lives are built upon your promises. We are counting on you being there when you said you would be there, acting when you said you would act. You've done it in the past so faithfully and we trust you for the future. We pray in Christ's name, amen.